You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. A uh, young friend of mine recently received an email from a woman who was scared. She sent the email uh, to say that she didn't feel safe. She didn't feel safe in social media. She didn't feel safe among her friends. Uh, She didn't even feel safe at church where she felt like people were kind of wagging their heads at her. She said, I could never remember a time where I had felt so much judgment or experienced so much isolation. Why did she feel unsafe? She wrote to say that she had voted for Donald Trump. And she wrote to say, I want to thank you. She wrote my friend to say thank you to her, not to tell her thank you for how you voted, but thank you for loving somebody who voted differently than how you voted. And my friend uh, uh, received this email because she had written an open letter to Trump voters. And I want to read to you a paragraph. She wrote this. Hillary Clinton, the candidate I voted for, called you deplorable. Others have called you ignorant. Some have called you stupid, foolish, naive, gullible. Those words come from a place of fear. Those words are not okay. I feel fearful too. I worry about how the next four years and years beyond will impact those uh, whose lives, who live lives more fragile than my own. But you are not deplorable. You are not stupid or ignorant, naive or gullible. You are my sister. You see what she did there? That's what we do when we grow as family. That's what we mean when we say grow as family. We cross a boundary into a bigger family. You are my sister. Now, I want to suggest to you she happened to cross a pretty big boundary right now in our culture, the boundary of political difference. And I'd like just to take a moment to say that we have a big family here at UPC, and I love this about us. So that if you lean politically conservatively, I want to say to you, you are my sister. You belong here. If you lean politically liberally, I want to say to you, you are my brother. You belong here. And this should be a place of great safety because we are family. Now, if you get to know us long enough, you'll know we care deeply about Politics, because politics is about people and it really matters to us. But here at UPC, we don't gather around our policy consensus. We gather around a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. Ryan said it earlier. He is our hope. Now, if I'm going to cross a boundary, I'm going to have to learn to love somebody who is hard to love. And that's what I want to talk with you about. How to love somebody who is hard to love. We're in the school of love, and this is one of our lessons. There are people that are hard to love, let's admit it. Some of them are actually in our physical families. There are people that don't vote like me, people don't think like me, people don't look like me, people don't talk like me, people don't live like me. And for a variety of reasons, it's just hard to love folks like that. We all have people in our lives, the roommate who never cleans up, The colleague who you know is constantly undermining you. The child who, for whatever reason, despite all of your affection, chooses to be oppositional and make poor decisions. Today, I want to talk with you about loving when it's hard. 
This is the way of Jesus. The surprising thing about Jesus is not the way he loves his friends. It's the way he loves his enemies. Jesus doesn't accept his enemies. He doesn't tolerate his enemies. Get this. He loves them. He loves them. He loves us. Bernard of Clairvaux, this 13th century monastic, taught us that the way we live is set by the way that we love, that your life will follow your affections. And the problem with that is that we love the wrong things, or when we love the right things, we love them too weakly. And we can't just tell ourselves to start loving God and neighbor, Bernard says. What we need is help from one another. We need to be intentional about participating in a circle of Christian community that will adopt together practices that push love into every area of life. See, and that's what he calls a school of love. The next practice that we explore together this week, the next practice that John, the apostle, considers in his epistle is what has been called oftentimes loving by faith. Loving by faith. It's what the believer can do with someone who's hard to love. So let's open up our Bibles, please, to 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. And if you're looking at the Pew Bible, you'll find that on page 991. Uh, may I invite you to stand with me and read God's word aloud together. 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. When we're done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, so that if you believe it, you can say, thanks be to God. Listen closely. You're reading his holy word. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the parent loves the child. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commands. For the love of God is this, that we obey his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome, for whatever is born of God conquers the world. And this is the victory that conquers the world, our faith. Who is it that conquers the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is the word of the Lord. Grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. Please be seated. You know, faith is supposed to be normal for believers. That's why we're called believers. Faith is also a resource for love. This is what John is teaching here. Faith is a resource for love. Seven out of ten times he uses the word faith. He puts it here in chapter 5. He gives us here in this little paragraph, the beginning of chapter 5, what I would call a faith oreo. He starts with faith, he ends with faith, and when you bite into it, the stuff that squeezes out is love. If you look at that, you want to see that, you see in verse 1, everyone who believes, that's the word for faith. And then verses 4 and 5, and verse 4, this is the victory, our faith. And verse 5, the one who overcomes is the one who believes, begins with faith, ends with faith. But in the middle, that commandment, that obedience is love. This is where he left off in chapter 4, speaking about God's commandment to love. And so faith for John is a resource for love. 
Love by faith. You have access to God's love for others. Love by faith. I was first introduced to this concept in college. I I hesitate to say this, but I I really intend to say it changed my life. It certainly changed the way that I relate to people. Uh, Bill Bright used to speak about loving by faith. Bill Bright would give these talks. He'd say, please make a list of everybody you don't like. And then, and then he'd say, I'd like you to begin loving each person on this list now uh, by faith. Once a 22-year-old woman came up to him with tears of joy in her eyes. And she said, Dr. Bright, last night I heard you talk about loving by faith. I'm a new believer. i just come to know Jesus. And for years, as long as I can remember, I've hated my parents. Five years ago, I left them and living on the streets, haven't talked to them since. But you told me last night that it's possible for me to love my parents because of Jesus Christ. And I couldn't wait to leave that room to get to a phone and call them and tell them I love them. And now I can't wait to get home and see them. Question, how is that possible? John tells us in verse 1, everyone who believes has been born of God. In other words, John references the new birth. The new birth. Now, you've heard people say, we must be born again. And I've I got to say, sometimes we feel uncomfortable with that phrase, born again. And we feel uncomfortable with it because it doesn't feel very loving. Frankly, in our culture today, it can feel exclusivistic. It can feel elitist. When we think about born-again Christians, we oftentimes think about people of a particular political persuasion or people who withdraw from culture, people who see themselves as just a notch or two above all the other regular Christians. But I want to tell you, this is not the way Jesus thinks of that phrase, nor is it the way John thinks of that phrase. So I ask you to suspend some of your cultural associations for a moment just to consider what it means to be born again. Jesus is the one who speaks of the new birth, and he does it in one of John's other works, the Gospel of John, comes up in a conversation Jesus has with a man by the name of Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. By the way, the word Pharisee was most likely used by their opponents, and it meant simply separatist. You are the separatist. So he was exclusivist. By the way, we're told by John that he was a leader. He was a teacher and a leader. So he was, religiously speaking, an elitist. He had made it in the religious world. And he comes to Jesus seeking some advice, and Jesus says, right away, Nicodemus, you're not going to get any of the package. It's not going to make any sense to you unless you're first born again or born from above. What is he saying to Nicodemus? Well, Nicodemus thinks that the way to the kingdom of God is through accomplishment. It's through doing stuff and doing it well. But that's not the way Jesus sees it. Listen to what Jesus says. In chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 of the gospel, he says, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water, that's baptism, and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Look, the way into the kingdom, Nicodemus, isn't as you think. It's not through accomplishment. It's not through achievement. It's through grace. And it's available to all. 
It's available to you, not because of what you've done, not because of who you are, but because of who God is and what I have come to do. You see how this undermines the exclusivism, undermines the elitism that Nicodemus doesn't even know he's carrying. The new birth for Jesus is a new basis for love that overcomes these kinds of barriers. In essence, Jesus is saying, you need something that's radically egalitarian, something that levels the playing field. Among all people, you need my grace. Your need is just the same need as anybody else's. By the way, after we're done here, I'm going to be talking to a Samaritan woman who's had five husbands, and there's no difference between you and her, all of your credentials notwithstanding. By the way, this is what we mean when we talk about gospel fluency, which is moving the gospel to the center of our lives. Do you know enough of, of the gospel to see how it radically changes your relationships? You are born again if you believe the good news of the gospel. And if you believe the good news of the gospel, then the new birth means that God, through the Holy Spirit, has pledged himself to deliver to you all that he promises in the gospel. A spiritual birth, spiritual life, eternal life, a new family, a new heart, and power. Power to love. Power to love even those who are unworthy of love. Power to love those who are hard to love. It's yours now. Love by faith. You love not on the basis of who you are, of who they are, but on the basis of who you are. See, that's what John's getting at. You who have been born again. You, you have the capacity to love, not on the basis of who the other person is or isn't, what they've done or haven't done, but on the basis of who you are because of what God has done in Jesus. You can love someone who's hard to love if your faith tells you who you are. So I ask you today, who are you? Last week on Wednesday night, I heard somebody say, we have grace flowing through our veins. And that really caught my attention. It was very poor. I thought, wow, we have grace flowing through our veins. Let me, let me tell you a little bit more about how that happened. Uh, over the last several months, Three great Seattle churches have been commissioning their pastors to build relationship with one another. University Presbyterian Church, Mount Zion Baptist Church, and Evangelical Chinese Church. And I had an opportunity around the time of the election to introduce uh, the pastor of the Chinese church with the pastor of the black church. And I'm in the, the car of the pastor from the Chinese church, and uh, we're driving over, and I'm thinking about the election, and I sort of realize all of a sudden I'm afraid because this black church tends to be politically liberal, and I didn't know what the Chinese church was like, and I was afraid that politics might come up. So I asked this pastor, I said, how's the election playing in your congregation? He said, oh, they're all voting for Trump. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is not going to go well. You know, I hope politics doesn't come up. But the truth is, if we can't cross lines of political difference, however could we cross lines of ethnic or cultural or economic difference, right? Politics is nothing compared to that. And so it was so beautiful this Wednesday night when we had a prayer meeting. The uh, leaders of these three churches, including your elders, gathered uh, to worship Jesus together. And uh, I wish you could have been there. This is where it was Pastor Aaron Williams, the senior pastor from Mount Zion Baptist Church, got up and looked around the room with a big smile on his face. And he said, we have grace flowing through our veins. And that's what he's saying. We have what we need. 
to love all people. Look, it's who we are. See, it's the new birth. It's what Jesus has done. Do you believe that? That's who you are. So love is what you get to do, even when it's not easy. The life of the parent is in the life of the child. The life of God is in your life. And God's love for God's other children is in you as well. John says this in verse 1. Again, everyone who loves the parent loves the child. So it means um, two things. First of all, you don't get the choice not to love. Sorry. You don't get that choice. There's no permission slip that says, you know, I, for this reason and that reason and this reason, I really am not supposed to or can't love this person. It's not for me. No. If you love the parent, you will love the child. The other thing, though, more importantly, is that you have the resources to love. Physicians, you tell us that now we want our children to lie on our chest, skin to skin, because there's a transfer. You know, the transfer begins in utero as well as antibodies and nutrients are, are transferred from the mother, the, the parent, into the child. In the same way, God has a mysterious way of transferring into your life. God's love, all that you need to love the world as God loves the world, is there inside of you somehow. That's who you are. How can you love when you don't feel loving? When you don't feel loving. If you were to love when you don't feel love, isn't that rather inauthentic? Isn't loving by faith just another way of saying, fake it till you make it? I would say no. For this reason. Let me ask you this. What does it mean to fake it? It means to do something that's not true to who you are. And the real question here is, who are you? The culture tells you that you know who you are by your feelings. In fact, in the culture, you are your feelings. This is what's called individual expressivism. So that's our culture today. You are your feelings. So you just have to express your feelings. That's the purpose of your life. Jesus says, no, 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 no. You are not your feelings. And you don't know who you are because of some emotional experience. You are what your faith tells you you are. Let's just look back at, uh, just, you don't even have to turn the page, uh, first three, two verses of chapter 3 here. Here's what John is arguing. He says, see what love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. This is who you are. He's telling you. The reason the world doesn't know us is it didn't know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet been revealed. In other words, you don't feel it. You don't see it. It's not apparent to your senses. It is to your faith, but not your five senses. What we do know is this. When he is revealed, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. You know who you are, not by your feelings, but by your faith. So, if faking it is doing something that's not true to who you are, I want to suggest to you, if you're God's child, then not loving is the fakest thing you can do. If you want to be authentic to who you really are, then first you look at Jesus by faith and understand, I am his child, and then I, therefore I can only be authentic if I love people, whether I feel love for them or not. And that's what it means to love by faith. Take action to meet a need someone else has in the confidence that God will love through you. See, faith is confidence. Faith is confidence. Take action to meet a need in the confidence that God will love through you. A couple of examples. My wife. She, she learned to love by faith before she would marry me. Okay? That's really... I'm lucky. So she, 
Um, but when she was a student, she went on a road trip. This is what she remembers, when she first remembers experiencing the possibilities of loving by faith. She went with a group of students on a road trip, and uh, they were friends of hers, except for one person that she could never quite get along with. Nothing wrong with that person, just the personalities didn't mesh, and she was a real annoyance to Anne. Ended up, <laughs> Anne tried to avoid her, but when they got to where they were going, Anne had to bunk with her. And she thought, oh, this is just going to destroy the whole week. But she remembered, I can love by faith. And she did. And she said, this, this, the other person didn't change. But all the things that were inside of me that kept me from wanting to love her, I just gave them to Jesus. She says, the first time I really realized that I, I have resources that don't depend on me to love another person. And she said, that week I actually enjoyed her. Me. Uh, yesterday, I've told some of you before that we have this breakfast club with our neighbors. We're trying to gather our, our neighbors together in an experience of, of family. And this week, uh, yesterday, Anna and I are sitting at the table, and there are two people there who are arguing over which has higher PhD credentials to be able to criticize Cliff Moss, the weatherman. And I'm thinking, oh, please, when will this end, you know? And the truth is, you know, so what we're trying to do is we're trying to grow as family not that our neighbors have all experienced the new birth. Um, as far as I know, they haven't yet. But we know that that's God's intention for them. And we have. So we're treating them as though they are brothers and sisters, part of the same family that we are, with the full expectation that God will one day help them to see that that is the truth of them. But when you do that with your neighbors, I want to warn you, you're going to have a temptation to look down the street and see the cranky guy who's got a rusty car jacked up on the front lawn. And you're going to say, I hope that person doesn't come. But they will come. And your ability to love that person is when your community, your family, starts to get really redemptive. This is going to be the bright spot. This is going to be the moment of transformation for you and for the other people in that circle. So loving by faith is actually a mission strategy. That's what I'm learning. Where will you begin this week? I don't know if you need to make a list of people you don't like. But if you do, please don't share it with anybody. May I invite you to begin with prayer. Take some time today or tomorrow and pray and ask the Lord to bring to mind someone. Someone that's been hard for you to love. And ask God to give you love from the Holy Spirit for that person. And ask God to bring to mind a need that that person has. And then pray for them. Pray for that person. This will affect your heart. That's what God's doing for them. So you enter into that. And then act. And then act. Now notice, uh, you may have to turn the page of your scripture. Verse 14 of chapter 5 says, This is the boldness we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us and whatever we ask, we know that we have obtained, notice the past tense, the request made of him. Wow. Well, when you pray for God to love someone, don't you think you're praying for something that's his will? And if you pray something according to his will, you know you have already obtained the thing for which you pray. So you've been tanked up by the Holy Spirit at that point, And you can bank. And you can bank. So act in confidence to go meet that need. When my friend got that email from the Trump supporter, she picked up the phone and called her. He spoke on the phone for an hour. Uh, Trump and a Clinton supporter on the line. And she said it was the most joyful hour 
of that week. It was surprising. She said, what I learned was this person was in personal crisis and had been for a long time. And the Affordable Care Act hadn't worked for them for whatever reason. She said, it helped me to understand why she voted the way she did. And the joy wasn't because we agreed, but because we understood. More importantly, because we loved across our line of difference. So I want us to grow as a family in our church. I want to ask you in our church, what could you do to make our family safer? Uh, what, what could you do to make a Republican feel more comfortable here? What could you do to make a Democrat feel more comfortable here? What could you do to, to make someone who doesn't speak English more comfortable here? What could you do to make someone who's homeless feel more comfortable here? And then let's grow as family in our city. How can you and your Lent small group help the brothers and sisters in that group prepare themselves to cross boundaries of ethnicity? Well, the stakes are high. We in the world today are more dangerously divided than we have ever been. And yet the potential is great. Listen to what John says. This is the victory that conquers the world, our faith. Faith working through love. I want to end with a story. It's a video story that grows out of a school of love in our own extended family here at UPC. It's about a man named Perry. Perry's an African-American man who grew up sharecropping in the South. And I think if you're a black man who grew up sharecropping in the South, then probably what's hard to love is anything or anyone white. Let's see what Jesus does in his heart as we watch this video. Now, about 12 or 13 years old, a little place called Sunflower, Mississippi, I had to go to the bank for my dad. And I walked in the bank as a Caucasian lady walking down the street coming toward to go in the bank and the banker was holding the door open for her. He kicked me. And he said, you never walk in front of a white lady. Boom! With his foot. He kicked me. So from that day on, I was bitter from the inside out. We were sharecroppers. Well, at the end of the year, when we got through farming and picking cotton and goes to the boss man's house and he invites you in to give you a cup of coffee and sit down and talk and say, you cleared $100 this year. But then he start filling up the bills and what he paid for this. And you end up about four or $500 in the hole. So we go to another man's place and my mom and dad would talk to him. And he would say, well, come on on my plate and I'm going to treat you right. The next year, same thing happened. So... We just move every year from plantation to plantation, working hard, sharecropping, and never being served with justice, what we call justice on a level playing field. How my heart had been scarred. Every time a Caucasian would say something to me, I would withdraw. I had to take a back step and watch and see if this is the reality. I'm using you on the basketball team as I'm using you to do some work. But when this is over with, you see a black man. So that really messed me up. And I had a lot of bitterness in my heart about that. You know, it's been a remarkable group because we have guys from every background. It's, it goes from uh, Park Bench to Park Avenue. One of the guys brought Perry. And we just had a great time talking, getting to know each other, and then thought we'd go out to lunch together. 
And uh, I just asked Perry, tell me your story. Tell me a little bit about you and your background. It began when I walked into that small group room and see the diversity in that room. And, and, and knowing, hey, you've never been in anything like this. So just sit here and listen and learn. And that's when I began to see the reality and the realness in this brother. And begin to see him and God begin to reveal to me, this is a real Christ-like man. Then the wall began to come down. I met someone that represents the man that I know who is Jesus Christ. Now, I have no excuse. Now, the only excuse you have is that you're not opening up and let Christ and him minister to you because he's a gift from God. This is a remarkable human being who's lived through a lot of challenge, and he's very courageous in, at 73, opening his heart to me and to a group of other guys. And that's, that's been such a gift. It's been such a privilege. Perry and I had an opportunity to address about 60 African-American pastors um, at a little conference down in Jackson, Mississippi. And uh, we just talked about our friendship. And we talked about what we're learning together as brothers in Christ. And it, it, it was almost a visceral response from this congregation of pastors. And one of the pastors came up and said he, he longed for that kind of friendship with, I guess, a brother of, of different color. Um, but, but he hadn't been able to experience that. And so I thought, we've experienced this great gift, but it's, it's only a breath away. It's only reaching across and meeting somebody. And um, that would be my prayer, you know, for others, that they could have this same rich, wonderful experience that Perry and I have experienced. If we would have church like we have at the small group, tell our story and ask for help and let people see on the inside of us the how torn we are, somebody would come to our rescue. Jesus would send somebody to come to our rescue. Whatever it is, that's what God wants to do. I don't have no more wall. If I see a wall, I'm cutting it down. Cutting it down. <laughs> so I thank God for you, and I thank God for other people that don't look like me. In Jesus' name we For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.